the S&P 500 stock index, which is the one we prefer to follow, even though it has its foibles. That's my word for the day is foibles. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the ball up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to a, another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, we are here to talk to you today about things financial, the economy, uh, whether or not um, inflation exists, and other things that you should probably already know, or maybe don't. It only exists in our mind. Only in our mind. Uh, anyway, this is The Personal Wealth Coach, uh, and we are a not just a radio program. We're also required to say that we, the two principals in a SEC-registered investment advisory firm, are the co-hosts. Why are we supposed to tell you that? Well, because the SEC needs you to know that if we say something, st- no, not stupid, we're going to say some stupid stuff. Some illegal stuff on the air about uh, how the market works or, or things like that. You should tell the SEC, which is a very clear statement that they don't approve us in any way, except that we register through the. Oh, that was a good segue. I like that. And uh, just because we're registered with them to offer investment advice doesn't mean we can do that on the air, because that'd be one of those things you could complain about, because there's no privacy on the air, and investment advice is supposed to be tailored specifically to the persons given to, not given broadly. So what are we doing? Oh, we're just jabbering. We're just talking words, nothing advisory at all. It's educational. That makes, that, that makes the unwarranted assumption that we know what we're doing. Oh, yes. Uh, who right. would warrant that? Which leads us to the next me. warranty guarantees statement, which is... The information we present on this informational educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Beep. Very nicely done. Right. Was like that a recording? Yes. That, that was a recording. It was in my brain. It was a recording in my brain. It's a recording now because we record the episodes, but... Oh. So is it episodic? It, it, it is episodic in some ways. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. And we generally start off by talking about the uh, small marks. The market. Markets. Yes. Market. Yes. Um, yes. And the market that people seem to be most interested in is the stock market. And we can report that the price of beef uh, is leveling off. Not, and, not uh, no, not not livestock, not livestock. Oh, common oh, stock. the other stock market. Stocks, oh, yes. Common stock. Well, I don't know. Steers are pretty common. I, I would say they're more common here than in other places. Right. Yeah. The S and P five hundred stock index, which is the one we prefer to follow, even though it has its foibles. That's my word for the day: is foibles. Um, it did. Almost nothing for the week. Well, I did a lot of ups and downs, but at the end of the week, it was up 36 one-hundredths of 1% to 4145.19, which is delightful. Why is it delightful? Well, we're going to talk about the jobs report and things that came out during the week that would indicate that, that typically in, in, in earlier weeks, earlier months, uh, would have caused the S&P 500 to descend, but it didn't, which is really pleasant. 
actually went up on Friday, and Friday is a very notable day in the market week. Um, it's now over 13% higher than it was in mid-June. It's still down 13.5% from its high in early January. In other words, it's up as much as it was down. How do you like that? Uh, actually, it's not because of the way statistics are figured, but it looks right. cool. Uh, um, percentages don't quite work. Yeah, that but it way sounds cool. If you go down fifty percent, you have to go up a hundred percent to get back yeah, to where you were. So, but it didn't go down fifty percent. It only went down tw- just over twenty percent. Right. So, so it anyway. has to go up more than that. Well, it's down six point five seven percent from last year. If you are an investor in stocks, mutual funds, things, equities, that should not actually bother you very much. What's important is to look back a minimum of three years, preferably longer. The S&P 500 is up 41.5% from three years ago, which is uh, which is just before the pandemic, which is like a 12.5% rate of return over the period. Whoa, that's cool. Um, we follow another index, uh, the CRS. By the way, that, that rate of return we've seen over the last three years is much higher than the long-term rate of return of the S&P 500. If you stretch it out and you get into true long-term returns, you get into 7 to 8% range, which is the – these are price returns, by the way. They do not include dividends. Um, so we are actually in an interruption in a bull market. It's a hiccup. This, this this thing that is occurring right now, like the thing that occurred in 2020, if you look at it long term, we are in, by any definition, a secular bull market. Right. Now, there's cyclical bull markets and there's secular bull markets, which is why I was talking about livestock a little earlier, because there's secular bulls and there's cyclical bulls. And then there's the steers. Yeah, which, uh, which don't act as bulls at all. No, but, but they can. Anyway. Yes. Um, so, so what we're in clearly is a secular bull market and the secular bull market runs for sometimes decades. And we are in one that's running for decades. Why do I know that? I mean, I could go into a lot of detail on it, but suffice to say that when you look back three years and you see a much higher rate of return than the really long-term rate of return of the S and P 500, this is an indication that the growth is overcoming non-growth. It's overcoming contraction. Uh, expansion is overcoming contraction pretty dramatically. And one of the things that happens in a secular bull market is the more bullish it is, the greater the variance will be along the way. That is, seems to be a, an immutable law of nature, not just in markets, but in everything else. And if you don't believe it, try driving a pickup across a pasture. The faster you drive, the bumpier it gets. And yeah. basically, the faster... The economy grows and corporations grow in the United States. The bumpier the ride will be and the bigger the bumps will be. We are going through right now a bump in a secular bull market. Now, that's hard for people to get their minds around uh, when they're looking at the fact that we're theoretically still in a bear market. But we tend to have very short-term time horizons as humans. If you're going to be a successful investor, and we've been watching a lot of successful investors and reading about them from the years before, over the last 50 years, I've been watching them, and and basically they have long time horizons. And if your time horizon is longer, you tend to do better. Are, are you wrapped yes. up on the markets? Because this is an no, amazing segue into a lot of the questions that we yeah, have we waiting for Yeah, we get into us. a lot of other things. Okay, the CRSP there we go. Uh, is up 9.8% from its bottom in June. Uh, and, and there are people in the media 
pessimists are saying this is just a bear market rally. It's 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 uh, it it isn't the bottom wasn't back in June. The bottom, the real bottom, is yet to come. I don't know. Uh, I, I this is why we say buy and hold. Yeah, you really can't tell when a bear market is over until you look back. Hindsight's and, twenty twenty. It's easy to look back and see it, but that's the deal. Is if you don't buy and hold, you miss out on the the rise. If you still think there's another bottom coming and there isn't, you missed out on it. If you got out at the bottom because you think there's more down, you lost money there. But long term, if you just had a really well diversified portfolio and held through it, you did great. And when we look at the studies, and I've read a lot of studies on this, the best performing investors over time are buy and hold investors. You would think of the people who get out at the top and get in at the bottom, those are the people who would have the best returns. Well, there's a whole series of hedge funds called the Tiger Funds and the Tiger Cubs that are, like I said, crying in their beer right now um, because they said, oh, this is a terrible bear market coming. We're getting out. So they got out and they're really happy about the fact that they got out. And the market is now higher than when they got out. And they're still not back in and they're sweating. And they're probably the ones who are saying in the media, oh, this is going to be a far worse bear market. You need to get out now because they want the market to come back down so they can get back in. Better just to be well diversified, have good cash reserves and ride through uh, something like this. Um, and anyway, that's it. Anyway, the, um, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield zipped up 7% to 2.8%. 8.43% with the two-year yield, but it's, we still have a negative yield curve. We have an inverted yield curve because the two-year note is at 3.226. Why is that important? There is an inversion. Yeah, why uh, is that we important? Have an, historically, when we've had an inversion in the yield curve, it indicates that there's about a 70 or 80% probability that there will be a recession within the next 18 months. However, did you, did you see the little semicolon in there? And then just before, however, and then a comment after, however. The, well, we got to have a little asterisk. This is even better. Put an asterisk there and then down at the bottom of the radio page, right in very small print, this whole next paragraph you're about to say. Okay, okay. There is growing evidence that this inversion of the yield curve may not be real. So it's not a real yield inversion. It's an unreal yield inversion. And why? Uh, the argument that I have read... And, and we'll have a, the opposite side of this as well in just a moment. Okay. So, yeah. uh, is that the Federal Reserve is, uh, I use the term unwinding its balance sheet to mix metaphors. Um, it, they're, they're, they're allowing securities to mature without buying new ones, which is the effect that, which has a similar effect to selling securities on the market. When you sell securities on a market, or sell anything, a lot of like $30 billion a month, which is what they're doing, it causes the prices for that particular set of securities to go down, which causes their interest rate to go up, their yield to go up. It is in the middle of that bulge, starting at about the 18-month point and going out to about five years, where the Federal Reserve is unloading interest-bearing securities on the market and thereby artificially raising the rates in the market, which is what they're trying to do, which would suggest the Fed has never done this this way before. It would indicate that the market, the bond market, is not saying we're going to have a recession. The Fed is distorting the market, possibly with a dual effect, one 
they do want to lessen their balance sheet. They want to shrink it. But the other one is they may want to give the impression a recession is coming to stop people from spending so much money so that inflation will come down. And we won't know until the historians look at the secret Fed notes and figure out what's going on. And you want to tell you the other side of the story. Yeah. The other side of it is let, let's let's get real basic, real basic, real basic. Why does an inverted yield curve make a recession? Wait a minute. That isn't basic in any way, shape or form, is it? Um, if you're a business owner and you want to expand your business, you're making a profit, you're building up your reserves. You don't want to spend your reserves to expand, but your profit's coming in quickly. So you think I can afford a loan to further expand. The profits from the expansion should easily pay for the loan. So you go out and you get the loan and you expand your business. That calculation changes with interest rates. If you say uh, profits are coming in, but with the interest rate as high as it is right there in the midsection, that's when I want to borrow because I don't want a really 30-year loan to expand my business over the next five years. I want a five-year loan to do that or an eight-year loan to do that. Not that they give very many eight-year loans out there, but you follow what I'm saying. And if those interest rates are going up, it's going to slow business expansion. That's like the key area that businesses are going to be borrowing in to expand. So whether or not, the, let's put some air quotes around this, this is a real or unreal inverted yield curve. The market, part of the market is the Fed. They bought a bunch of stuff on the market and now they're selling a bunch of stuff on the market. Just like any other large purchaser, only they're quintillion times larger than the other large purchasers. They affect the market with their buys and their sells. You can just see it more. It still makes it more expensive to expand the business. Now, having said that, capital expenditures are up. Business, uh, they are expanding right now. They're spending money on expansion, and it's at a pretty good rate, near record. So how can that be true? Well, because they're expanding with money that they already borrowed or reserves that they had on hand already. So this is why an inverted yield curve is really predicting out 18 months is if this inversion maintains, it means that capital expenditure is going to be slowing over the next 18 months or so because it's more expensive to do it. And that could cause a recession. Now, we haven't had a recession for every inverted yield curve, but we've had no recessions that didn't have an inverted yield curve. So what you said is this might be a trick from the Federal Reserve to make us feel like we're going into a recession so we stop spending so much, which just is a mild slowdown, but it fights the inflation. But at the same time, it looks like Congress is about to pass a bill that um, is going to spend a lot of money to fight inflation, which just, that's, there's a little problem with you don't spend money to fight inflation. Wait, sorry, that's not how it works. Um, so the Fed's got another kind of weird unknown on the radar. So that's two sides of this. We don't know it's the answer to this, and it really should be the answer all the time. We think based on history that we're not going to have a recession based on what we know in the next six months, but we might have one next year. And why is it you never get in an economist that's going to say, 100% we're going to have a recession, or if you do, they're not very reliable because they call it the same way every time. 
It's because nobody knows everything. It's like a doctor is not going to tell you, you have exactly three days to live because that's an unknown. Uh, so we're looking at the health of the economy, and there are definitely some friction points that are going to limit our growth in the future at the very least and possibly create a recession, maybe, but probably not right away. Well, one of the issues, you talk about loan rates, um, SBA, the current SBA uh, loan rates for the typical one, the SBA 7A fixed rate loan, is generally around 10% right now. Right. And when you consider that we're looking at inflation as high as it is, it's still a pretty dirt cheap loan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's still expansionary. It's worth, this is something we've talked right, about. We're still in an expansionary economy. This isn't neutral yet, even though we're, we're raising interest rates and the federal reserve is raising interest rates. The rest of us are too, because of the way we're acting, we kind of follow the fed in this stuff. Um, people are selling into the market. And that's part of the reason why interest rates are going up. So this, this concept is that we're following them along and it makes sense that this could be another tool in their toolbox. It could very clearly be them saying, Hey, we're slowing down and this might be a recession. We we're selling in this interest rate, this maturity range. They have other stuff. They've got a lot of 30 year stuff, but they're selling in a clump right now to do something a little different than normal. I know this is really back CSI stuff behind the scenes. What's going on back here? Um, it looks like the Federal Reserve is trying to touch our confidence to say, hey, stop spending so fast. Things might be worse in the future. And if that's the case, it's kind of cool because it may actually prevent us from having a real recession. But it only works a couple of times because if they keep flagging, hey, we might have a recession and then we don't have it, people aren't going to look at the inverted yield curve as a problem anymore. So, yeah, there's even yeah. more complicated. That's as basic as we can get on it. Sorry. Well, to finish off on markets, WTI, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, dropped. The price dropped 10.36% during the week to 88.37. I, yes, I said 88.37. It was $130 a barrel a few weeks ago. Whoa. And if you think I am on hallucinatory drugs or was looking at a different year or something, go look at the gas pump and you will discover that at gas stations, the prices are coming down. Why is the big question? Because there's another figure that goes in here. Our trade deficit dropped. Our exports went up and our imports went down. Well, the reason the exports went up is we're selling a lot of fuel. We're selling gas and gasoline overseas but the price is coming down here. Well, we talked about earlier, one of the reasons the price of gasoline went up is there were a bunch of refineries shut down for maintenance and stuff like that. And they got caught by surprise because you don't just start them up and shut them down. The high price of gasoline in a free market system did what it normally does. And it caused the, uh, the oil companies to say, we got to figure a way to produce more gasoline so we can make more money, which is not a bad thing in a capitalist system. And they did it. And so now there's more gasoline out there, which, and people have decided to not drive quite as much. And right. between the two of them, the price of gasoline is coming down to something reasonably normal, which follows on to the next thing, if you can excuse my segue. The primary uh, driver in inflation so far this year has been fuel costs. And if fuel costs are coming down, with, over the next two months, I suspect you will see significantly lower inflation numbers. Uh, I don't know what they'll be year over year, but because that's looking back a full year, but month to month, they're they're undoubtedly coming down at this point. 
which this is where my optimism jumps in. If inflation numbers start coming down, the Fed then has room to not raise interest rates so much, which lowers the probability that we will eventually slide into a recession. That's, uh, so that's a lot of stuff. Chain of stuff. It's but it's a chain of stuff. Now, the United States economy is expanding. I realized that we had two quarters of negative GDP. Those were because of the way we, the peculiar way we measure GDP. Um, if you look at the internal growth numbers, everything that has to do with what's actually going on in the United States, just what's going on in the United States, we are growing at an unsustainable rate. Too fast. We mentioned in the newsletter that the services PMI, the purchasers, purchasing managers index, purchasing managers are the people who buy the stuff in advance, one to two months in advance, when the companies see a lot of growth going on, is like 59. And 55 is about as fast as we can continually expand. Anything, above, manufacturing 50, side, anything yeah. above 50 means growth. So 59, that's absolutely unsustainable. That's like an 18% growth rate. You can't sustain that long-term. That's the, how fast it's going, though. In the over in the manufacturing side, we're at 52.5, which is a good sustainable rate. We can do that for a long period of time, and, and it's, it's come down from above 55 in the recent past. The United States economy growth rate is slowing. The economy is not slowing itself. The growth rate is slowing to a more sustainable rate, but we ain't there yet. We're, as a matter of fact, the, despite the negative GDP numbers, the United States' economy is expanding a little too fast. Uh, and if you don't believe that, if you think, well, Jeff, you're full of it, we're in a recession, things are bad, just try getting out on I-35 and driving to Austin and back. Yeah, go go try to eat somewhere without waiting yeah. in line for an hour. Um, go try um, to buy a television and tell me how long you wait in line, if you're waiting in line. And online sales are up. This is just, mm. it's, it's we need everywhere. The Federal Reserve is, I think, doing, despite all the flack it's taking, I think it's doing a commendable job of slowing things down, but not slowing things down so fast that we're liable to go into a recession. I think we'll probably have a soft landing. I think inflation is literally transitory, meaning no more than a couple of years, and it gradually goes away. It's not in, it's not entrenched. It's not embedded. Uh, I think come 2023, things will be going much better, and come 2024, they'll be going better than that. Um, the, the thing that could throw the, throw a monkey wrench into all of this, obviously, if China says, okay, it's time to invade Taiwan. Yeah, that would do it. And we, we wind up in a war with China. All I got to say is go to Walmart and look at the tags and see where stuff is made. And you will realize suddenly that a war with China will be very upsetting more to their economy than to ours. But we said the same thing about Russia. They were dependent upon U.S. technology, upon U.S. this, upon U.S. that, upon import. They are. But that doesn't mean they won't be stupid and do something that they believe is in their national interest. Basically, it's not just the LPTs of the world. And I'm getting a phrase from our recent family reunion. The little plastic things, all of them are made in China. All the LPTs are made in China. Most of the electronic stuff is made in China. If we are... like that would be bad that it would be difficult to adjust we're doing it and it starts with the kind of investment in our own infrastructure and our own ability to create things that we're already doing 
I mean, we're we're already starting to say, hey, we need to get some rare earths of our own, and hey, we need to get titanium of our own, and you just go down a list of things that we've been dependent on China for. Part of that dependency, we've thought, well, th- they're not going to stab us in the back because we're their best customer. But if we look at what Russia is doing to Germany right now with their gas, we realize that best customer doesn't mean as much when you're in the middle of an argument. They can say, well, I can do without you. I'm cutting your gas. Or we're not letting the iPhones ship. Yeah, that will talk to the younger generation. Maybe some of the older generation too. We go to war over Taiwan and you may not have a new iPhone for a significant long period of time. This is a concept. (laughs) We've been more like massaging the brain into somnolence this couple of hours. We haven't been very funny we, what's funny in the world right now? Mm. Well, the Wall what's Street Journal. The world? Here's a good one. This is good. Front page news this last week from the Wall Street Journal. Elon Musk sleeping with uh, the co-founder of Google's wife and it causing a divorce. Now, I saw That's this. Funny. Yeah, I saw this headline uh, as I was checking the news. And my jaw kind of dropped, not because of the salacious material, but the location for it. It's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, and it didn't interview any of the central figures. It was all based on people who know someone who were saying it, and there were six people that said it. And then coming out after that, Elon Musk saying, nope, didn't happen, didn't happen. Uh... And uh, the the co-founder of Google saying, nope, didn't happen. The lady in question saying, nope, didn't happen. It wouldn't surprise me, just as a side note. Just first off, I was shocked that to find it humorous that the Wall Street Journal got this so thoroughly wrong and that they went so weird. This is not their normal subject matter on their front page. Then come forward a bit. It would not surprise me in the least to know that the leaks came from Elon Musk as a, not a joke, but as a reference in his current lawsuit against Twitter. Just follow that. Let's see what happens. Let's do some conspiracies. If we're going to be scandal ridden on the Wall Street Journal, let's do conspiracies. Maybe. Uh, Anyway, that's my funny, funny. It's not very funny, but weird. Maybe. What in the world was the Wall Street Journal doing putting that on the front page? Uh, what is that? Did you see I that? I don't know. I saw it go by and I did I very frankly what does when that I have see to do things with like that I see the I see the article as it comes in, I delete it and move on to the next one. Because in reality, who Elon Musk is sleeping with is irrelevant. Why that was I, you know, it grabs, it certainly grabs everybody's attention. It's delicious. It's a. Did you say I'm delicious or. Salacious. Sal- salacious. Salacious. Okay, you can combine salacious. the two. If you can do ginormous, salacious is actually a good word for tabloids. I like strategery, though. <laughs> I, I don't know that it has any relevance whatsoever. Uh, I do think something that. And, and again, to summarize that we're getting towards the end of the time, we've only got uh, just a few minutes left in the hour. To come back around, I think we're in a good spot. If you're going to be someplace in the world, this is the place to be, just in case you didn't know that. If you maybe thought 
the United States is all screwed up and things are not working well. It is, by the way. I, it always is. But it's just not working well better than everybody else is not working well. Uh, right. A lot better. And uh, we're in what I never understood the catbird seat, but the I what? guess we're in it. The, the catbird seat. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, it's a saying he's in the catbird seat, which I, means that he's in the exactly the right place at the right time. And I've never understood that term, but we're in it. I, I don't know what that even means. I'm not even sure I've ever heard it. Catbird seat. Is that the seat where the catbird sits? Is it a bird or is it a cat? Mm. The catbird seat is an idiomatic phrase used to describe an enviable position, often in terms of having the upper hand of greater advantages. That's what Wikipedia calls it. What does it come from? It refers to the gray catbird used in the 19th century in the American South. Oh, uh, which... Um, I guess they there like to a, sit on top of things. Well, there was a humorous short story, humorous short story by James Thurber. And if you don't know who he is, he's worth looking at. He has some yeah. good stuff. The Catbird Seat was the name of the short story, which features a character, Mrs. Barrows, who likes to use the phrase. And she, anyway, it basically indicates you're in the right place at the right time. And you can see all that's going on and there's no threat to you. So we're in the Catbird Seat. Right now. We're in the catbird seat. Are we in it or on it? Because I think the catbird seat would be like the very top of a branch. You can't really be in that. Are we mixing our metaphor force? Anyway, now that we know what that means, we can be pedantic about it. Slowly. Anyway, we're, yeah, love it. Anyway, the, <laughs> the point is we're in the right place at the right time. Things are going better here than they are anywhere else in the world, in my opinion. Um, it is, uh, it is, it is a good time to be alive and it's, probably a good time to be thankful. We have a tendency to gripe. We have a tendency to gripe when things are going well. We have a tendency to gripe more seriously when we don't think things are going well. But things could sure be a lot worse. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we are in, I mean, we've talked about this throughout the hour. Unemployment is really low. You may know someone who doesn't have a job, but they could probably get a job if they moved or changed just a little bit what they're trying to get um that that's this is a good place to be our savings rate is good it's lower than it was but it's higher than it's been traditionally in the united states by a large margin our credit card debt is much lower than it is traditionally though higher than it was during the end end of last year it's still extremely low compared to history so I think the shocks of the global financial crisis and then the pandemic have changed some of the ways that the United States looks at money, that we're saving more and having less credit card debt. That's good. It's not something that stays that way forever. It's nice if it would. It'd be nice if it would. But that's a, those are all really good signs. If we are moving into a recession, all of what I just said means that it's going to be an easier one. If we look at what's going on in Russia or in China and their economy, there's not a lot about that that's easy on the slowdowns. The unemployment in China is not something that you collect. It means that you're looking for a job. There's no money for you while you're looking for a job. Social security in Russia and in China is... Um, you ask your kids for an allowance. So in some ways, we're more socialistic, 
but we thought ahead and kind of invested toward it. Congress has to get on, get their act together and fix Social Security before it gets shrunken. Got to fix Medicare before it breaks or breaks more than it has. But we got a lot of messed up stuff. It's just a lot better than a lot of other places. And when we look at unemployment in Germany, well, they're not crazy unemployed there either, but their unemployment's going up and their uh, expansion is definitely not. It's contraction. Um, you know, you know, we're going to lose a lot of listeners for saying all this good things about the United States. I know, States. I know. I'm waxing eloquent about how awesome it is to be here, but it's true. And that's not a lot in the news. Bad news sells papers or electronics or whatever. And you don't report about an airplane that lands safely, except ours did. And it was rather nice that it did. So I'd like to report about it. Yes. Uh, and I think... So did ours. <laughs> we're about out of time. Um about out about out of time and you are listening to the personal wealth coach and the personal wealth coach is not only the name of this radio program it's also the name of a sec registered investment advisory firm in salado texas and we do manage wealth for people who have wealth to manage and you can contact us it's a voicemail on the weekends but there's live people that answer the phone we don't have a voluntary during the week and it's 254 947-1111. You can get that same voicemail versus people, depending on time of week and day, uh, at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. You can read newsletters going back a lot of ways. Look at us saying we were at full employment in 2019. Because we did. It's written down. You can look at it. Uh, find out where we were wrong. Call us on it. Uh, give us an email to talk about it in the radio program. Because that's, I mean, part of looking at things is recognizing when you're cross-eyed. Because sometimes we get cross-eyed. Um, thank you very much for listening. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>